we'll go ahead and stand. We'll read Psalm chapter 46 together. Psalm 46 is titled, God is our fortress. We'll read the chapter. I'll start in verse 1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Selah. This is God's holy word. Let it be heard. You may be seated. We all have weekends that can be restful or very busy. <clears throat> the restful ones are nice, and the busy ones can be nice as well, where we try to do four days of work in two days. It does feel good, though, when we have a list of things to do, and whether it's a Friday or during the week, and your weekend starts, and our list is completed. That, that usually feels good. Well, at one level, we are called to be disciplined, and it's good to be organized. We're called to take care of what God has given us. However, not all of life calls for the same action. Sometimes, life may call us to rest or to be still. As we look at this passage in Psalm 46, what are we called to do? You could say, are we called to be busy or are we called to rest? Psalm 46 has much to teach us about God and that we should be a people who at times we don't do anything except to behold God and to be still. And these two things may rub against what our natural tendencies will be. Most of us will want to stay busy and to work versus to behold God and to be still. And when life gets busy or things get rough, We want to do something. We want to fix whatever problem we have. We want to grab our bootstraps and handle it. But that may not always be what Scripture calls us to do. This morning, we're looking at three truths about God and then two commands that come from this text that are to, to remember or behold the works of God and to be still and know that God is God. So let's begin looking at God, who is our fortress. In most of your Bibles, Psalm 46 is rightly titled, God is our fortress. 
Twice in our passage, we're told this truth, verse 7, and then again in verse 11. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord who is over everything on earth and in heaven is with us and is our fortress. Now, the us in this passage was originally those who received this psalm, or you could say Old Testament saints, but also, this is true for believers in Christ today, right? Both, both Old Testament and New Testament are, is God's word for us. We've been talking about that in Sunday school at the 9 o'clock hour. Well, let's start by looking at the second line about God being the God of Jacob. And then we'll go back to looking at God being our fortress. Now, I personally have always loved the saying, the God of Jacob. And in fact, I fought long and hard with my wife to name our son Jacob. Jacob is our son Jude's middle name, so you can see who won that battle. (laughs) The first time we see the line, the God of Jacob, is in Exodus chapter 3. God tells Moses this, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Our text tells us when Moses hears from God, then Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. The context of this this verse is that God was speaking to Moses, showing showing him who he was in preparation for Moses to deliver Israel from the bond of Egypt. In God preparing Moses, he name drops those Moses would know by claiming men of old. First, Moses' father, or possibly father-in-law. Then he hears about Abraham, and then Isaac, probably no surprise so far. Men of faith that serve God well, not perfect, but faithful. However, Moses may have twitched a little bit when hearing about Jacob. You You see, Jacob was given a new name, which was Israel. When Abraham was referenced, his new name was given, yet Jacob's was not. There are several mishaps, you could even say sin, that Jacob was known for, and yet he is in the same list as Abraham and Isaac? You see, I think the reason that we see the phrase, the God of Jacob throughout Scripture, is it's to remind us of God's goodness, not necessarily Jacob's faithfulness. Now, my wife did not want to name our son Jacob for a reason. It was not because she just liked the name Jude better. No, it was because of the baggage that comes along with the name Jacob and its meaning, which is supplanter or one who circumvents. Now, I'm sure we've all heard the phrase heel catcher, you know, speaking of when when Jacob was born and trying to, you know, go through his brother, the, the line that is. You see, there are many men and women that we might grab a hold of or point to in the Bible that are our favorite characters or people. And for the most part, Jacob is not that person. This is why I think the phrase, the God of Jacob, is so powerful. If Jacob was, quote-unquote, good enough for God, then maybe I or we are good enough for him as well. When God recounts the men of old, he does not name Abram, Abraham's old name. He names Abraham, Yet with Israel, God recounts the name Jacob. So maybe it's not that Jacob was good enough for God, but that Jacob wasn't good enough for God, and Jacob had nothing to offer God, that is, until God does a work to change him from Jacob to Israel. 
You see, what we're going to see throughout our passage is how good God is. And the power that comes in the phrase, the God of Jacob, is not the name Jacob, but the God of Jacob. So back to our repeated phrase, the God of Jacob is our fortress. A fortress is a stronghold, a strongly fortified defense or military structure. A fortress offers protection to people. God is both with us and he protects us. My wife and I have been to two military bases over the years, one in Savannah, Georgia called Old Fort Jackson, and then probably like most of us, to Fort Stevens near Astoria on the Washington-Oregon border. Both these facilities, are the, both these are fascinating structures along bodies of water that would allow soldiers to protect themselves from enemy, enemy boats coming in from sea. Each fort had large concrete walls. There was places for weapons to be mounted to you know, shoot oncoming boats, ships. There were hiding places and would look like, look like lots of armories where they could store ammunition. These fortresses, I'm sure, were crucial in the conflicts that arose, but if we compare these man-made structures to the Almighty God, there's obviously no comparison. You see, God is our source of refuge and strength. He has no limits. In and around these military forts, you could see damage done by shots that went over the walls or even through them. There was destruction there. These forts offered some protection, but they were not flawless. God, who is our fortress, lets nothing by that's not designed by him. He is our complete place of safety and strength. God Almighty, who is our fortress, is also the God of people like Jacob. Now, we all know those people who trust in things other than living God. And that may even be us at times. We may find trust in other things or at least try to. We may trust in our bank accounts and think that our six months of savings will save us. Some store up food for a year, which may be wise, although the powdered food I've seen probably is not worth it. <laughs> Some have an arsenal of weapons just in case. Some put their trust in a job or having good health or even family. Now, in most of these things, comfort can be gained and should be gained, but should not be ultimate. There will be times when we are shaken to the core and nothing this world offers will be enough to provide the refuge and strength that we need. We are to continually ask God to teach and remind us that he is our fortress. And in doing that, we will not be moved. The list of worldly comforts above are all under the umbrella of our creator. Think about it. Our spouse, our children, even the job that we have are given by God Almighty. The fact that you have anything is from the gracious hand of the Creator. Listen to the first chorus of Psalm 46 written by Sovereign Grace Music. I'm going to read it. I'm not going to sing it. For you are God, I need not fear, your sovereign over all. You are good and always near. I rest in you alone. Trusting in created things more than the creator will not bring comfort nor the deliverance that we need. And in doing this, it's sin. This is what we call idolatry, right? Putting things in, in the place of God. 
Scripture has much to tell us about our great God. Look at verses 2 and 3. God is not moved, therefore we should not be moved either. Our text gives some great truths to remind us of this. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling, Selah. We will not fear, though the earth gives way. Mountains will be moved into the sea. All that we know and that causes security gives way and we are not to fear. These are bold statements, aren't they? Mountains are moving to the sea. Waters roar and foam. Mountains tremble. This sounds like maybe even a big earthquake. Now, I've not personally experienced an earthquake. I do remember as a kid, late 80s, early 90s, when the earthquake hit California and I saw through television, highway structures just demolished and buildings falling over. And it was fearful, even just watching from television. I did, however, visit Mississippi shortly after Hurricane Katrina and saw something I'll never forget. As we were driving around, we noticed that the trees were just broken right in half. Not ripped out of the ground, but just broken like you take a toothpick and you just break it with your thumb. The winds were so strong with Hurricane Katrina, the trees were broken right in half. Now, unfortunately, with Hurricane Ian that recently at the East Coast, these pictures are probably far too familiar. And so whether it be structures being demolished or trees broken in half, earthquakes or hurricanes, we can see the power behind these acts, and, and they are fearful at some level, whether we're in them or we just see them from afar. Yet what God tells us in his word is that he is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble, and when these things come, we will not fear. Not that we should not fear, but that we will not fear. Here, verse 2 again. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way. Also, verse 5, God is in the midst of her, and she shall not be moved. <clears throat> in the midst of the earth giving way and the ground shaking, we will not only not fear and not be moved, but we'll also be able to rest and to be still. Think of God's salvation of Israel from Pharaoh in, in Exodus in chapter 14. After all the plagues that were sent by God, Pharaoh lets Israel go. Partway through chapter 14, here's what the text says. The people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. We skip down a few verses. Moses says this, Fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. Most of us know how the story ends. The Lord masterfully spits, splits the Red Sea. Israel crosses on dry ground. And he has the armies of Pharaoh follow. Here, verse 28. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Of all the host of Pharaoh, all that had followed them into the sea, not one of them remained. 
Now to the last verse of the chapter. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Throughout the first part of Exodus, we see Israel going through some tough situations. In the face of persecution, God did not come immediately as Israel would have hoped. But God did come. They could have believed and probably recited verses like verse 1, probably over and over again. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And what better truce to trust in as they look back and see Pharaoh's army chasing them? This is one example of what we're trying to get down to here. You see, those in the city of God, as referenced in verse 4 and 5, are not moved. There's an interesting phrase in verse 4 that says this, There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Rivers seem to represent safety and provision in Scripture. They can separate one area from another, keep enemies at bay, and also be a source of life to an area. We just drove back from the west side of the state yesterday, and after Ellensburg to here, it's nothing, right? It's just desert, except, I mean, we plant trees, but then you go by the river, right? And you think we're back on the west side. There's all these trees. There's life by the water. Listen to Revelation. God's word says, The angel showed me the river of the water of life flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Scripture in many places tells us that water signifies life, and that is what we are to see here in Psalm 46. God is the source of life. He is the one who sustains us, and we are in him. When we are in him, we will not fear, and in fact, the streams from the river make those in the city glad. Those who are in the city of God are not moved They will dwell with him in his holy habitation. God is the source of life, stability, and gladness. We are are glad in the city because God is there, not because life is perfect. Because God is there, not because life is perfect. God, who is our sovereign, holy creator, is there. It is his city And nothing comes in or goes out without his command. We do have a heavenly city that we are to look forward to. This is a place free from sin and death. But we are not inhabitants of this city yet. The city that we hear about in Psalm 46 is a present city that we can run to right now today. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble even today. Let us not fall into the trap of only seeking God when we need him. If we are in God's city, then he is there. Verse 5, God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. The city is God's holy habitation. We need to call on God when in need, but we should also call on God in times of joy and plenty. Our text says, God will help when morning dawns. Not just when there's a dark storm cloud, but all day, every day, any day. 
That's what it means to have a relationship with the living God. We seek him morning and evening, good days and bad. In just the last couple months, I've talked to two individuals that were going through some rough times. In both situations, life was hard and things were not going their way. One was not drawing near to God, but pulling away from him. He said he just did not feel like spending time with God. The other, and I will add much older, had a different tone. I heard things like, yeah, things are hard, but I am still so unworthy of God's grace. I went to visit this individual to see how he was doing. My goal was to read scripture and to pray, which I was able to do. And after reading a portion of God's word, he says this. Let me read something to you. So he turns to his passage and he encourages me with scripture. As a pastor, there's nothing better than that. I was encouraged by this because some will distance themselves from God in times of difficulty, but this brother had nowhere else to turn but to God Almighty, and that's what this passage promises us, that God will be with us. So think of your relationship with your spouse if you're married or your best friend if you're single. Children, think of your parents. How fragile would these relationships be if we just sought the other person when times are good or when times are bad or when we feel like it? Wouldn't our relationships be stronger and deeper, more fulfilling if we gave them all that we had, if we trusted and pursued our spouses, friends, and parents all the time? How much more so with God? Life will get intense, and these words of Psalm 46 will become dear to us. Here, verse 6, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter. We can easily look out the landscape, the landscape of this world and fear. You can get on the news, you can Google current events, you can think about the war in Ukraine, the mass shootings that happen so frequent. My wife just this morning said there's some kind of a serial killer in Seattle. You could think of the oppression of countries like China and North Korea. There's, there's something like 7,000 deaths each day in, this, just in, in just this country alone. Even things like inflation can really rock us. Now, things like the price of groceries and gas are obviously less significant at some level, but think of a single person or a young couple starting out and they're supposed to pay their own bills, and they're supposed to save for retirement, they're supposed to buy their first house, and these things can become big issues in a hurry. But let us not forget that Scripture has much to comfort us with, no matter how big or seemingly small our problems are. We know that God is our fortress, we know that God is not moved, and we know that God is with us. But what can we leave here with today to remind ourselves of these truths so when the ground below us shakes, that we know what to do. When the earthquake hits, what do we do? There are two commands that we see in Psalm 46. The first is to behold 
verse 8. And the second is to be still, verse 10. See verse 8 when the psalmist says, Come, behold the works of the Lord. Let's look first at what our text says God has done for his people. So look back at verse 6. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter, but God utters his voice and the earth melts. God brings desolations to the earth. God makes wars cease. God breaks the bow and shatters the spear. God burns the chariots with fire. Do we realize that God does good things and God does what we may call bad things? What I mean is, yes, God makes wars cease, but God also starts wars. Look at the passage in verse 8. God has brought desolations on the earth. Verse 9, he burns the chariots with fire. This idea that God is involved in what we would call bad things may turn your view of God upside down, and that may be needed, especially when the trials hit. We sometimes have a hard time in life struggles because our view of God is too small. Think about it. If God was only involved in the good that life brings, what kind of comfort would we have when trouble comes? Here are a few verses in Scripture. Amos 3, verse 6. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord had done it? Isaiah 45, verse 7. I form the light and I create darkness. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord who does all these things. Church, God has power over all things, even the things that shake us. And God is in all things and is using all things. Now, we don't always know what's going to happen. This doesn't lessen how scary life can be, but we are told to consider what God has done and what God is doing. Many of us can look back and, and look back on our life and see how God has worked masterfully. We didn't see it at the time, but we can look back and we can see it now. But can this truth also bring comfort here and now? When mountains are thrown into the sea right beside us, when waters roar and foam all over us, when the nations rage, even our own nation, and when kingdoms totter at every turn that threaten our comfort, we can trust that God is completely in control and he will be exalted among the nations and in the earth. He will win and we will endure. Brothers and sisters, we have much to recall in what God has done for us. And when we do this, we will be better able to stand firm, continually think on God's goodness, and this will cause us to grow in our understanding of God and his attributes and be able to better handle life's challenges. So we're called to see what God has done and trust what God is doing as well as to be still and know that he is God. Here, verse 10. 
Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The phrase be still means to discontinue, to release, to let go, or to stop. When the ground below us is shaking and we don't know what's going to happen, we are to stop and to be still. Most of us realize that when we worry and lose sleep over things, doesn't doesn't do anything, right? I think most recently, the stock market, right? It, it's not good, right? We are losing money as we speak. But yet we worry, and, and it doesn't, doesn't change anything. In fact, it probably makes it worse because we don't sleep and we're stressed, right? We'd be better off to stop and pray. Remember what Jesus says in the Gospels. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We are not to let this world move us. We are commanded to stop and to trust that God is who he said he is. God is God and we are his creatures. He is and will be exalted among the nations of this world. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress, Selah. Let's go back to that course we read a little while ago. For you are God, I need not fear, you're sovereign over all. You are good and always near. I rest in you alone. Be still, my soul. Now, church history has much to tell us about believers who have been able to remember God and to be still in the face of trouble. If you don't know about Richard Wormbrandt, then Google him today and read about him. You can read about others in books like The Fox's Book of Martyrs or Jesus Freaks. But scripture has an example for us as well. Stephen in the book of Acts is the New Testament's first martyr after Christ, of course. Listen to the recount after Stephen's sermon. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven, saw the glory of God, and Jesus standing at the right hand of God, and said... Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. Their witnesses, the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they were stoning Stephen, they called out, he, I'm sorry, excuse me. When they were stoning Stephen, Stephen called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep, meaning he died. Now Stephen's deliverance looks much different than that of Israel in Exodus, Right? God saved Israel physically, and yet God let Stephen die. No. God sovereignly used Israel as they trusted in him 
and God sovereignly used Stephen as he trusted in him. There are two helpful verses I want us to read as we consider God's complete control, you can say sovereignty, in these two events. The first one comes in Genesis 50, probably familiar to most of you. The verse comes at the end of the story of Joseph. After all that God did through Joseph, and Joseph being in front of his brothers who abandoned him for dead, here's what Joseph tells him. Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You see, Joseph learned that God was in control through all that happened to him. We also have a great verse in Hebrews chapter 11. After going through the chapter often referred to as a hall of faith, we find out that not all these great examples of faith received what they expected, at least not on this earth. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. You see, God chose to save Israel from the hand of Pharaoh, and yet God chose to allow Stephen to be a martyr. In both examples, God is faithful, and in both cases, Psalm 46 is true. Ultimately, God will save his people, whether in this life or the life to come. We are to trust God who will allow us to endure. Now, these stories should bring some encouragement to us if we ever enter into something like this. We have the same God who can comfort us and allow us to be still and to let God be God. However, most of us will probably not be chased by Pharaoh's army nor be martyrs for Christ. Things that will hit closer to home will be like when a loved one dies or when a career is lost or a medical condition is diagnosed. These will most likely be the mountains that get moved in the heart of the sea. These will be the things that shake us. But church, know this, that even in life's problems, even though when life's problems seem smaller in nature than others, God's faithfulness is the same. Our struggles will vary, but God is the same, and the hope he offers is as well. We are called to remember our great and holy God and all that he has done. Then those truths <clears throat> can cause us to be still no matter what the Father brings our way. Trust in him, seek him in prayer, give yourself to his word, and wait for his ultimate deliverance in this life or the life to come. Here a, a line, a few lines from Martin Luther's great hymn also based on this psalm. Did we in our own strength confide our striving would be losing? Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? You ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. The Lord Sabbath, his name from age to age the same, and he must win the battle. And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear, for God has willed his truth to triumph through us. 
Those are truths that we hold dear as well as passages like Psalm 46. God is not moved, therefore we should not be moved either. But when the ground shakes, are we moved? Where does our mind go? Know this, church, that we are not perfect. We want what Psalm 46 promises, but we don't always hold true to it. But there is one who is not moved, and it's him that we are to turn to. Even in our failings, Christ is there. We are weak, but God is strong. We are faithless, but God is faithful. Amen? Remember, our God is the God of Jacob. It is God who is faithful, not Jacob. Now, these truths are literally life-saving and hope-giving for those in Christ. But I would like to address those who are not in Christ, meaning those who do not believe or those who think they believe but do not. There seems to be a trend out there for those who do not love God, who have not repented of sin, who have not placed their faith in Christ, yet they call out to God in times of trouble. Hear what God's word says in Isaiah chapter 59. I think this was in the reading plan yesterday or today, if you're following along with us. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor his ear dull that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear. Despite what we see in Hollywood, crying out to God to save you from your troubles is a waste of time outside of the message of the gospel. This is where our doctrine proves our practice. The Bible says that we are dead in our sins, that we are blind. Scripture even uses words like deaf and dumb when speaking of those who do not know God. God isn't going to save you from your troubles because he doesn't hear you. Your sins have separated you from a holy God. Our text references in verse 4 the holy habitation of the Most High. God is holy and cannot dwell with sinful man. If we do not have the blood of Christ over our sin, there is no fellowship that you or me can have with God. God won't save you from your problems until he saves you from your sins. Now, I don't speak this way to say, come to the Lord so he can fix your problems. No, God says, come to him so your sins can be forgiven. It is God that we are accountable to. He is our creator. We are made in his image. God in his goodness has given us life, and he has called us to live a certain way. No man has lived this way, the way that God's called him, and that's why we need Christ. God sent his son Jesus down to the earth to save us from our sins. He lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and rose from the dead the third day, defeating sin and death, and is now at the Father's right hand, calling men everywhere to repent of their sins and to follow him. Once Christ saves you from your sin, 
then this passage and its comforts is for you. Let's pray. Father, you are so good to your people and you offer hope this world does not have. We even ask for help from your spirit to work in us to behold all that you have done and to be still when we want to run. We thank you for your mercy and grace to accomplish all that you have for us. Let us never forget who you are, what you have done, and all that we have in Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.